go ahead and grab your Bibles and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, <clears throat> the mindset of the minister. How many of you guys are excited about this study? That's pretty good. Uh, <laughs> not going to ask you again. Uh, I've been doing that a lot, though, today. I worked at Bobcat football camp. That's why I got my new cool shirt on. And uh, I would ask the kids uh, something once, and their voice wouldn't get loud enough. And it's an easy way to get young kids excited because all you have to do is say, no, 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 that's not good enough. It's not good enough. I need more out of you guys. Are you guys ready for ladders? And they would say, yeah. Just start screaming. <laughs> Just nearly about to rip their heads off. So uh, pretty easy to get them excited. But uh, I'm also excited about this this study that we're going to work through, uh, 1 Corinthians, and then we're going to inch our way all the way to chapter 4. Um, but tonight, we're going to focus on verses 26 through 31. And before even diving into verses 26 to 31, um, I want to talk about a few things. I want to talk about man's wisdom and God's wisdom. And I want to kind of give you a sort of lengthy introduction uh, as to why those two things, man's wisdom and God's wisdom, are conflicting. Why man's wisdom and God's wisdom are in opposition to one another, antithetical, if you will. And I think this is necessary because really for the first two chapters of 1 Corinthians, Paul is essentially addressing that very issue. That very issue. Matt did a great job of setting the, 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 the course for us, giving us the overarching view uh, last week. And, and you know the Corinthians had a, an issue of division in the church that manifests itself in factions, right? Chapter 1, verse 17. I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Peter. But at the root of that issue, divisions and factions, disunity in the body, I believe is in exaltation of wisdom. The Corinthian church had attempted to marry two things that should never be intermingled. Human wisdom and God's wisdom. And so Paul essentially says, really in the first two chapters, you can't do that. You can't do that. You can't mix human wisdom with the message of Christianity because the two are in opposition to each other. They're conflicting. Again, they're antithetical. Look at verse 17 of chapter 1. Kind of see this there. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom. It's the word, Greek word, Sophia, for wisdom. Lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Eloquent words of wisdom empties the cross of Christ. Look at verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. God's wisdom, which is summed up in the cross, Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 1, is considered to be foolish to the world. That word for foolish is moron. It's moronic to the world. God's wisdom is, is idiotic in the world's, from the world's point of view. And vice versa, the wisdom of the world is, is foolishness to God. Look at chapter 3. Paul says this. 
chapter 3, verse 18. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone of you thinks that he is wise in this age, what does he say? Let him become a fool. Let him become a fool because, again, the, the, the foolishness or the wisdom of this world and the wisdom of God are in opposition to one another. And so if you think you're wise in this age, God says, become foolish. Verse 19, for the wisdom of this world is what? Folly. It's folly to God. Go back to chapter 1. These two things are opposing to one another. Again, they're in opposition. They're diametrically opposed. And, and Paul is trying to lay that out in the first two chapters. They're incompatible. You're going to hear me say that often because I'm trying to get that in your mind. And on top of God's wisdom being diametrically opposed to the wisdom of this world, God is also destroying the wisdom of this world. The wisdom of this world and, 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 and God's wisdom are, are opposed to one another. They're, they're conflicting because God has destined it to be that way. Look at verse 18 again. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment. And the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. And so God's wisdom is opposed to man's wisdom, but it is that way is because God destined it to be that way. Again, he's utterly ruining the wisdom of this world. Look at verse 20. Paul asks a series of questions. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? The way in which God is destroying Destroying the wisdom of this world is by causing it to be foolish. He's making it foolish. Verse 21, For since in the wisdom of God the, word, the world did not know God, through its wisdom it pleased God through the folly of what we preached to save those who we believe. This verse is so interesting because you see how God is destroying the wisdom of the world. He's taking that which they consider moronic, that which they consider fool, foolish, and it's accomplishing what they could never accomplish in their own wisdom, which is salvation. What they could never accomplish. Look at verse 27 of chapter 1. But God has chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. He's shaming the wisdom of this world. Again in verse 27, he's chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. He's destroying this wisdom. This worldly wisdom. Verse 28, God chose what is low and despised, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. Human wisdom and man wisdom are opposed to one another, and it's that way because God has made it that way. He's made it that, that way. Does that make sense? In the divine plan of God, human wisdom has been destined for destruction. That's what he says in verse 19 of chapter 1. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. He says, I will thwart. This is something that the Corinthian church had to understand because, again, they were trying to mix the two. They were trying to bring them together, and Paul says you can't do that. You can't do that because they're diametrically opposed. And, again, in our introduction, I want to ask the question, ask the question why. Why? Why can't human wisdom and God's wisdom mix? 
Why couldn't the Corinthian church throw a little bit of the wisdom of this age into the preaching of the cross? Why is man wisdom and God's wisdom in opposition to one another? Why is God destroying and literally thwarting? That idea is to set aside. Why is he setting aside the wisdom of this world? Why can't they mix? And it's a simple answer. It's because they have two different agendas. They have two different goals, two different aims. Listen to this. Human wisdom seeks to exalt man. And God wisdom seeks to exalt God. The wisdom of God is, is always attached to God himself, right? The beginning of wisdom is what? Fear the Lord. It's always attached to the awe of God and the glory of God. Actually, several times in 1 Corinthians 1, Jesus Christ is called the embodiment of wisdom. In Matthew's gospel, uh, Jesus was, was, was speaking to the crowd, and he was, he was given a parable. And he said that uh, the queen of Sheba, she was in awe of Solomon's wisdom, but he says, but something greater than Solomon is here. That's because Jesus, again, the embodiment of wisdom, was far greater than all the wisdom that God had blessed Solomon with. Again, godly wisdom is always attached and it always uh, finds its, its form in the truth of God and always seeks to exalt God. But not godly wisdom. Not human wisdom. Human wisdom detracts and lessens the prescribed glory from God and in return exalts man. Human wisdom exalts man. God feels the way he feels about human wisdom. He, he's going to set it aside. He's going to utterly destroy it because his glory is on the line. His glory is on the line. I want to show you this. Look at verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom, right? The Corinthian church was trying to intermix the two. Why? Lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Look at verse 18. We're told there that the cross of Christ, what? It, it is power to those who are being saved. But then you skip back to, or you jump back to verse 17. And, and what is worldly wisdom? What are words of eloquent wisdom trying to do? It takes away from the power of the cross. It takes away from the power of God. That's why God's going to destroy it. The, the Greek word behind the word taking away from the power or destroying is, is kanoo. The idea is to destroy, again, utterly ruin. That's what wisdom wants to do to God. Wants to do away with God. Look at verse 27. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is, what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. Why? So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Again, the wisdom wants to boast in the presence of men. It wants to exalt itself. God's predetermined to choose the foolish things of the world, which we're eventually going to get to, to shame that which steals his glory, human wisdom. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. 
And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. I didn't deliver it in a, in a, in a, in a way that the world says was wise, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. That is, as he preached the word of God, this is how he felt. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom. Again, I didn't preach in a, in a worldly way, in a wisdom way, right? But in demonstration of the spirit and the power. Look at verse 5. So why? So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but what? In the power of God. In the power of God. Lofty speech and words of wisdom, they rest in the power of men. But the way Paul preached, it rests in the power of God. Rests in the power of God. Go back to Romans chapter 1. Why is God destroying the wisdom of this age? Wants to take his glory. Wants to take his glory and in place exalt man. Verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For the invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Look at verse 22. Claiming to be wise, they became what? Fools. And then what did they do once they became fools? Look at it. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the image resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. What happened as, as the, these unbelievers claimed wisdom, as they stood up and said, we're wise. We're wise. We're intelligent. Look at verse 23 again. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Again, they began worshiping man. That's what human wisdom wants to do. Go over to Colossians chapter 2. The church in Colossae was having issues. They were dealing, struggling with the sufficiency of Christ. I think a lot of you guys know this because you've looked into this book again. They were starting to put their eyes on other things, other than Christ, other than God. Chapter 2, verse 6. Therefore, as you receive Christ, Jesus as the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in love and established in faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Look at verse 8, and then he says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy, phileo, Sophia, love of wisdom, and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the element spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Again, they were turning from the sufficiency of Christ. They were turning their eyes off of God. And who's to blame? It's the love of knowledge. It's the wisdom of this world. Why does God destroy? And why is he shaming? Why is he thwarting the wisdom of this world? Why is God's wisdom and man's wisdom in opposition? Why did Paul for for two chapters really set this up in 1 Corinthians chapter 1? 
It's because the glory of God, again, ladies and gentlemen, it was on the line. Human wisdom wants to exalt men and dethrone God. And God won't let it happen. He can't let it happen. Because he will give his glory to who? None other. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10.5, he says, we're destroying speculations and every lofty thing, and he has in mind wisdom. He says, we're destroying every lofty thing. Listen to this. Raised against the knowledge of Christ. You catch that? Paul was destroying everything that was raised up and set itself against the knowledge of Christ. That's what human wisdom does. It raises up against Christ and sets itself in opposition to Christ. Seeks to dethrone him. God won't let it happen. Psalm 14.1, the fool says in his heart what? There is no what? No God. They think they're wise, right? The atheists think they're wise, but God calls them fools. And do you notice what they do in their wisdom? What do they do? They say there is no God. There is no God. They seek to dethrone God. Again, I think this is, this is something that's at the heart of what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2. God is destroying the wisdom of the world. The wisdom of this world is in opposition to God's wisdom because it wants his glory. It wants his glory. And ladies and gentlemen, this problem still exists in today's age, does it not? The Corinthians weren't the only ones who had the issue of intermingling worldly wisdom into the preaching of Christ, the preaching of Christ to the Christian ministry. That, that still lives on to this day and age. Let me give you a few examples. Stick with me here. Theistic evolution. Theistic evolution. The Bible clearly teaches, right, that God created the heavens and the earth. How many days? Six days. 24-hour days. Genesis 1 and 2. It's reiterated. But many Christians don't take Genesis 1 and 2 to really mean what it says, right? Why? Due to Darwin's evolutionary theory. In their mind, natural selection seems to make a lot more scientific sense, right? Thus, they try to mesh the evolutionary theory in the beginning chapters of Genesis. Thus arise theistic evolution which says God created the building blocks. He kind of set everything up, the natural laws. He kind of got it all ready with the eventual emergence of life in mind. Again, he wanted life to emerge, but he kind of set everything up. Then he stepped back. That's satanic. What does the theistic evolution, evolution do? It imposes human wisdom onto the truth of Scripture. And who loses? Scripture. Again, the meshing of human wisdom and, and God's wisdom, and, and human wisdom does this. It does this. It takes away from the power of God. Because he spoke the world into existence and everything that is in it. In six days, six literal days, 24-hour periods, ex nihilo, out of nothing. It's powerful. But theistic evolution, the meshing together of human wisdom and God's wisdom, wants to dethrone God. Romans 1, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of God for the glory of immortal men. 
That's one example. Second example, biblical inerrancy and inspiration. Many believers will say that the Bible has a lot of scientific flaws and errors and contradictions and that it really isn't inerrant, though it says that. Some say the concepts are inspired as opposed to the actual words, as opposed to the actual literary genre, down to the very every single Hebrew consonant. Some say, no, it's not. The concepts are inspired. That's where verbal inspiration comes in. The Word of God is inspired in its grammar, in its literary genre, right? Down to the very jot and tittle, Matthew 5, 18. That's inspiration. But human wisdom has crept into many people's minds, many Christians' minds. Hear me out, ladies and gentlemen. It's crept into, again, a meshing of of human wisdom and, and, and God's wisdom. And again, who loses? Who loses? The glory of God is lessened. Man's intellect is exalted and starts to judge God. Christian psychology, here's another one. According to 1 Timothy 3, 15 through 16, the word of God is sufficient for everything, for both salvation and sanctification, every issue in life. Every issue in life. Depressions and so-called mental issues. But human wisdom has come alongside of God's wisdom, again, listen to me, and it's taken away from the glory of God, that his word is enough, that his word is sufficient. And it says, uh, the Bible doesn't really have all the answers. God doesn't really have all the answers. We need to go over to MSU and get a, a, a bachelor's degree in psychology if we really want to help people. God's, wisdom, God's word is not enough. Again, the meshing of human wisdom and the truth of Scripture. Listen to one, what one integrationist said. I wrote this down. An integrationist is a person who mixed together worldly psychology and the, the biblical truths, which, again, they don't mix, but he tries to. And he says this, Counsel with the word only churches promote superficial adjustments while psychotherapists, with or without the Bible, he says, do a better job than the church of restoring troubled people to, the, to their more effective functioning. I'll read it again. He says, counsel with the word only churches. Churches that only use the Bible, they promote superficial adjustments. And then he turns and says, the psychotherapists, with or without the Bible, we don't even have to use the Bible, he says. He says, we do a much better job. What's happening? What's happening when you mix together the wisdom of this age with the wisdom of God? The glory of God is on the line. The intermingling of human wisdom and the truth of Scripture is something that lives on to this day and age. The glory of God, ladies and gentlemen, continues to be assaulted as men and women exalt their minds and their intellects, their rational capabilities. But when you consider the source of human wisdom, when you consider the source, where it comes from, comes as no surprise as to why human wisdom seeks to dethrone God. It comes as no surprise. Go over to James chapter 3. 
Where does worldly wisdom come from? Verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in meekness and of wisdom. Again, James is tying wisdom to good and God-honoring behavior. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, who does that sound like? Sounds like the Corinthian church to me. Do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above. James is saying this, listen, the, the, the selfishness and the, the, the selfish drives and the jealousy, that does not come from a wisdom from above. It comes from a wisdom that is what? Earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Demonic. James says the, the wisdom of this age is what? Satanic. Strong words. Human wisdom, ladies and gentlemen, it comes from the first being who tried to put himself in the place of God. No wonder Christian psychologists try to dethrone God and take away his glory. <laughs> Human wisdom is satanic. And Satan wants to take away from the glory of God. But God won't allow it. He will not allow it. Because if we go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he's destroying it. Verse 19, into verse 19, he's thwarting it. The discernment of the discerning. He's setting it aside. <laughs> this is so cool to me. I mean, maybe I'm a little, a little bit more excited. He's like, wow, what's so cool about it? Listen, God is ensuring that he receives glory by setting his wisdom up against the wisdom of this world. He's ensuring that he receives glory. And how is he doing that? He's doing that through a foolish message, right? Again, verse 18, they consider what we preach foolish. He's allowing for the foolish message to accomplish what the world in its wisdom could never accomplish. And so he's doing it through a foolish message, keeping his glory, keeping human wisdom out. But here's where we're going to get to our passage. He's also ensuring his glory. This is a little bit of a humble pie by choosing foolish people. By choosing foolish people. He's ensuring his glory, ensuring he receives his glory by choosing non-impressive people, which takes us to our text. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26, read it with. Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the world's standard. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to to bring the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Because of him, you, Corinthians, are in Christ Jesus, who became to us the wisdom of God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, so that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you're destroying the wisdom of this world. Thank you that you're setting it aside, Father, because it seeks to take your glory. It's satanic at its very root. 
Things like Christian psychology have no place in our life. Things like theistic evolution, when the Bible clearly speaks to the origin of life, Genesis 1 and 2, have no place in the life of the Christian. Father, will we never do what the Corinthians sought to do, intermingle the human wisdom and, and, and godly wisdom, because, again, human wisdom exalts men. And in the end, your glory is lessened. It's taken away from and Father, it's so neat to see that you're ensuring your glory by choosing foolish recipients of the cross. <laughs> We're thankful for that, Lord. Receive glory from our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's my outline for these six verses. Who the Corinthians were not when they were called, verse 26. Who they were when they were called. And why they were called. Who they were not, who they actually were, and why. And it's worth noting right from the beginning the word called that you see at the beginning of verse 26. He says, for consider your calling Brother, consider your calling. That is the word referring to the effectual call of God. Election, if you will, that always leads to salvation according to Romans chapter 8. Divine election is undoubtedly a theme in this passage. Actually, in verse 27, if you would look at it, he says, but God chose, again, not the same word, but a synonymous word to calling. God chose the foolish. Again, in verse 27, the end, God chose the weak. Verse 28, God chose what is low and despised. God chose. Paul wants the Corinthians to consider, to really think about their salvific call, their salvific election. And specifically, he wants them to think about their salvation in light of worldly standards. He wants them to think about who they were according to the worldly standards. The end of verse 26, according to worldly standards, when they were called. And he first lays out who they weren't when they were called, who they were not. Read verse 26 with me again. He says, For consider your calling, brother. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. That phrase, according to worldly standards, some of your versions might say according to the flesh or according to, to human standards. The ESV and NIV, I think, really captured the essence of what Paul is saying. Uh, of how Paul wants them to evaluate when they were called. He, Paul wants the Corinthians to assess their status in the world from a completely horizontal focus. How did the world view you guys? When you were saved, when you were saved, how, how did humans, on a just again, purely horizontal level, how did they view you? And Paul says, here what you weren't. You weren't what? You weren't wise, he says first. You were not wise. And this word refers to intellectual abilities, educational status, just knowledge in general. And just a side note, Paul says not many, right? He doesn't, not many doesn't mean all, okay? There are some people who are really, really smart in the church. <laughs> some people who are influential, right? Some people who are powerful according to worldly standards. But he says not many. Not many of you were wise. You weren't really educated. Secondly, he says what they're not. He says not many of you, verse 26, were powerful. Were powerful. The idea behind this word is influence. Influence. Some of your versions might read mighty. Not many of the Corinthian church, its congregants were prominent people or famous people. 
It's the idea behind that word. Thirdly, so Paul says you're not wise. says you're not powerful. Thirdly, he says you weren't of noble birth. You weren't of noble birth. The idea behind this word is having some sort of high status in society. We would say this person was born with a silver spoon in their mouth. There were some in the Corinthian church who were born with a silver spoon in their mouth, but not many of them. Paul says, here's what you were not when you were saved. Here's what you weren't when you received the salvific invitation from God. And just a side note, guys, all these words have connections with each other. Because the very educated people in the first century typically had powerful parents, which thus made them of noble birth. You get that? The wise people typically had powerful parents who thus were of noble birth and vice versa. The noble had powerful parents and thus they were well educated. Again, these words are all connected. And guys, Paul is basically saying this. You weren't the somebodies when God saved you, according to the world. God called you to salvation. You weren't important. And this would have dealt a striking blow to the church in Corinth. A striking blow. Listen, the very thing that they were trying to intermingle with the cross, the very thing that they were trying to exalt, Paul says, you're not. You're not. All the Corinthians had to do was just, if they wanted to mix human wisdom and worldly wisdom, all they had to do was grab a mirror and set it right there. Take a look in the mirror. Because they weren't impressive. And in looking in the mirror, they would have saw who they weren't, but they also would have saw who they were, right? Who they were. What were they when they were called? Verse 27. But God chose what is foolish in the world. Foolish. Again, the Greek word is moros. Moron. Stupid. (laughs) Strong words. I looked up some synonyms, actually, for moron. Here's what I got. Idiot. Blockhead. Dingbat. Dunce. Dummy. Lame brain. Mentally defect. How strong. Loser. Sure, all these words probably weren't in the first century Greek dictionary, but this is what came to mind when the world looked at the Corinthian church. You're you're fools. Kind of how the world looks at us, right? You're fools. That's what they were. Secondly, Paul says, he says, God chose what is weak in the world. They're in the middle of verse 27. And this word refers to individuals who are ineffective in other people's eyes. You're not effective. I mean, what if someone said that to you, right? That would be an insult. You're ineffective in life in general. (laughs) Paul uses the same word in 1 Corinthians 12, referring to individuals in the body who seem to be weaker. He calls them weaker brothers in 1 Corinthians 12. Those who seem to be less important. It's the idea. The Corinthians were less important people. And this is the same way that the world looks at the cross, as weak, insignificant, ineffective, right? And it looks at the recipients of the cross the same way. And so God chose the foolish, the moronic, the stupid. He chose the people who are really insignificant, ineffective. Thirdly, God chose what is what? Low, verse 28, and despised in the world, even the things that are not, Paul says. The idea behind the word low is is just the opposite of a noble birth. You were ignoble. Ignoble. 
the idea behind the word despised is, is people look at you and mock you. They, they do this to you. <sighs> Doesn't feel very good, does it? I mean, that, that, that's kind of the idea of what Paul's saying. The Corinthian church was in the ways of the world, in the eyes of the world. People looked at them and mocked them. They mocked them. And then I, I love the last description in the verse 28. Look at it again. He says, even the things that are not. I just love this. Because if the Corinthians had anything left after the first four demoralizing descriptions, <laughs> this would have taken everything away. Literally, the Greek reads this, the ones that are not. Present active participle with the net negative particle. These are the ones that, listen to this, don't even exist in the world's eyes. <laughs> I was laughing with uh, Dylan before. I said, this is, this is really the peak of insults. Someone came up to you and said, you don't even exist. You are not. <laughs> How would you feel? You said, not what? You, you're just not. <laughs> you're just not. That's what Paul's saying. So what's their worldly resume? According to the world, what's their resume? Here it is. Not smart. Not influential. Not well-born. Stupid. Less important. Lowly. And our favorite, non-existent. All the Corinthians had to do if they wanted to mix together wisdom, the wisdom of this world, and God's wisdom was take a look in the mirror. Say, no, no, no. This can't be because he chose me. This cannot be the way God works. He chose me. And listen to this, guys. God has always worked this way. He's been purposeful in choosing the things that don't exist in the world's eyes. Again, his glory is on the line. James 2, has God not chose the poor to become rich? Remember the church was exalting. They were being partial towards the famous people or towards the rich people, and, and, and James says, has God not chosen the poor to become rich? This is how God works. He chooses the nobodies. We're the nobodies. Even as Paul wrote this, he was the nobody. Actually, skip over to chapter 4. Look at what Paul says about himself. Chapter 4, verse 9. He says, for I think that God has exhibited us as apostles as last, as all, last of all. Like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools, same word, for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak. This is how Paul viewed himself, but you are strong. You, you are held in honor, but we are, we are in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor, working with our hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slander, we entreat. We have become... And still are like what? The scum. The scum of the world. The refuse of all things. Go back to ch chapter 1. It's how God always worked. He's always worked this way. He, he's ensuring that he receives his glory, right? By, by bringing a moronic or an idiotic message from the world's point of view. Verses 18 through 25 of, ver, of chapter 1. But he's also ensuring he receives his glory by choosing foolish people, foolish recipients. And so our last point, why were they called? Why were they called? We got their resume. They weren't, they weren't the somebodies. They were the nobodies. And why? There's three reasons why. They, 
God wanted to shame, he wanted to nullify, and he wanted to, to bring glory to his name. He wanted to shame, he wanted to nullify, and he wanted to bring glory to his name. He wanted to shame. Verse 27, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And again, God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. The idea is he wants to humiliate the wisdom of this world. He's humiliating it. He's humiliating the rulers of this age. He's crushing and subduing their wisdom. He's crushing it. He does stand a chance. I said this in my prayer when we were praying before Cross Life. The Richard Dawkins, God doesn't need him. The Sam Harris, these are some of the leading atheists of today's day and age. Stephen Hawking's, God does not need them. God is humiliating them. Because the, the, the thing that they most need, they cannot see. Matt said it last week. They're blinded. God has blinded them. He's shaming them. But secondly, God has chosen the foolish things of the world and has, because he wants to nullify. Look at verse 28. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring, the th- to bring to nothing the things that are. To bring to nothing is the idea of to nullify, to make it powerless. It has no power. The wisdom of this world has no power. You cannot get to God with the wisdom of this world. And then lastly, God works this way. He chooses the foolish things of the world to bring glory to himself. Verse 28, God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to, bring to nothing the things that are, so that what no human being might boast in the presence of God. There's no boasting. And because of him, he turns back to the Corinthians. You are in Christ Jesus, who became to us the wisdom. You want true wisdom? It's found in Christ. It's embodied in Christ, in righteousness, in sanctification, and redemption, so that it is written, what? Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is, the, this is why God has chosen us, ladies and gentlemen. Why has God chosen us, the foolish things of the world? I put that at the top of your handout. Because he's ensuring his glory. He's ensuring his glory. We return to where we started. The wisdom of this world wants to exalt man. And then God in his wisdom, he chooses the foolish things to make sure that he receives glory. Closing, go back to Jeremiah 9. This is where Paul's quoting from, Jeremiah 9. And the first 29 chapters of Jeremiah are just judgment on unbelieving Judah. But intermingled into this, just this barrage of judgments on this nation, this particular nation, God is throwing in there ways in which they can turn and have a right relationship with him again. Jeremiah 9 Verse 23, this is what they had to do. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that is God, Yahweh, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, or justice, righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. God is pleased. God is pleased when we boast in Him, in Him alone. And so remember this, guys. 
when you want to mix together the, the wisdom of this world and the, the wisdom of God, the truth of Scripture, just look in the mirror and, and just see that we're not that impressive and it, it doesn't work. Again, so often when we go up to MSU, we, want, we just want to sound influential. We want to sound intellectual. But God has blinded that. He's thwarted that. He's destroying that. Again, because it wants to take away from his glory. And thus we, came, we come in the picture. The foolish ones. The foolish ones. Saying, glory be to God. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. <clears throat> God, again, and it's, it's within me as well, just, just the desire to, again, want to sound wise to this world. Want to intermingle the wisdom of this age. And it has no place. That's what Paul said now to teach the Corinthian church in the first two chapters. It has no place. They consider the, the cross, the thing that we cherish, the thing that is our very power to be foolish, idiotic, and, and vice versa, Lord. You, you, you consider their wisdom to be foolish. Lord, we remember that so that we would never do that. And, and we remember, Lord, who loses when we try to intermingle human wisdom and God's wisdom. It is always you, Lord. It is always your glory that is lessened. Father, will we never do that because we want to boast in you and you alone. Help us to do that, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.